it's all working. The power of modern technology. <laughs> What's news, brother? How's Fremantle this morning? It's a beautiful day, actually. It's been blue skies recently, but lots of um, rain a couple of weeks ago. Torrential. More rain than we've ever had. <laughs> wow. But all the rivers are over flooding, the banks, all the dams are full. So that's good. Jeez, that'd be nice. Mm. Yeah, not, not so much rain here in the sunny coast, although it did rain last night and wake us all up, but went mm. for a walk on the beach this morning and it was just the top of the sand was wet, hadn't sunk through, so not getting a lot of rain. <laughs> but it's all good. It'll, it'll come when it comes. Yeah. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. No problem. Where do you want to kick off? What do you want to jump into? This is all about deep diving. So, yeah. What do you feel like? What do you feel like talking about today? Um, I'll send you a few hints, I suppose. Yeah, I, interesting. I've got all of that. But you can, instead of me ticking them off, let's let's kick kick off with you ticking one of them off. All right. What's front of mind? Hey. What's front of mind? Um. Well, maybe I better just give a sort of like a brief bio of who I am. Yeah, that'd be good because I don't know much about you already. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time we've spoken, so it's a good place to start. Mm. So I'm uh, 54, 55 in October. Uh, birthday's on Halloween. It's always been kind of an interesting birthday. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a good party. Yeah. Um, so I grew up here in Western Australia in the hills. I kind of like saw myself as a bit of like the storm boy of the hills. Um, just had like lots of nature to run around in and deprogram after I came back from school. <laughs> um, I've always had a, um, a sense of, I suppose I owe it to my parents really, a sense of freedom mm -hmm. about what I want to do in life. So I really only did upper school of high school because my friends were doing it. I knew I'd go straight to art school, which my dad was the head of department of here. At Claremont WA, so there was a, yeah, so um, I knew all the, because I grew up, you know, knowing all the teachers and everything, I already knew the landscape of the whole art scene and didn't really question that I wasn't going to do anything else. But I was also a musician as well, and my, I was always tapping on, listening to the radio and tapping my feet and hands, so my mum thought, well, I better get him a drum kit, and he looks like he's <laughs> into that. Much to her distress, every weekend playing the drums, or every day. Yeah, it's not a quiet instrument. no. Um, so yeah, uh, my parents are artists and my father is a painter, my mother is a ceramicist and potter and um, uh, my dad built art galleries at our property in Rolling Stone. So um, from an early age we had, I was sort of like, had people coming into the house at first and then he built these art galleries, strange hexagonal shaped units sitting up on the hillside um, to display all his work because he was like a very prolific painter. Some of his paintings in the background here behind me. All oh, right. So they're the ones I grew up with, psychedelic kind of 70s ones. And <laughs> but he does all kinds of all kinds of stuff. He's still painting now. Um, so then when I went to art school, I joined, a, met some freaky people and joined a band. And uh, yeah, I lived my, it's been, been doing a bit of art, but mainly um, music actually. It's been the rest of my life. So did that creativity come from your dad or your dad and your mum or 
Do you have a um, sense of where that came from? Or, you know, like, was it always there for you? Not really. Like, I did have to practice um, drawing and, you know, but it was always around me, yeah. Mm. And a very diverse, musical, eclectic sort of taste my parents had. So I was listening to a lot of world music, African, you know, strange African drumming and South American pan pipes and along with the, the normal sort of uh, Leonard Cohen and Melanie and hippie stuff as well, which I've got a sort of a nostalgic um, spot in me for. Donovan and things like that. Oh, Donovan, yeah. Mm. Donovan doesn't get spoken of as much as he probably should. It's sort of... No, it's beautiful. Heartfelt. Yeah, he kind of sits in the almost like the second layer of people that of artists that people will talk about rather than yeah. the forefront. So always, um, my parents were like, my dad had like a pyramid that he made, like just of, you know, um, doweling sticks in the, out in the garden or in the, in the lounge room, he'd meditate under and he saw all these colors. So he painted the sticks colors and, you know, they were kind of into that kind of thing, pyramid power and all the, wow. all the pre new age stuff back in the day. Um, reading all those sort of books, Castaneda books. Um, yeah. I read all them in primary school, you know, I just, I just oh, read right. everything my dad was reading. Yeah. I thought he's probably kind of, you know, into interesting things. So I read all the books he was reading, like Taya de Chardin and um, Global Brain kind of consciousness, you know, all the precursors to the new age sort of futurist movements, querying conspiracy and um, those kind of books, which sort of like, Gave me a big sense of um, connection to a global sort of a sense of global mind, I suppose, from an early age. And they were always meditating as one well every morning. So we went to meditation nights and psychic research society meetings. And so it was a pretty interesting upbringing, really. Not the mm. usual kind of one. No, that's not your um, have a family with 2.3 children and <laughs> no. go and work in a factory until you're 65 and get the pension kind of an upbringing. No, and it wasn't, you know, my dad wasn't a dominating force. He was quite, um, quite had a feminine side and a um, bit of a lone wolf character, really, I suppose. Never, you know, there wasn't any violence in the family or anything like that, aggression. Mm. Um, so I tended to sort of... Uh, respect the alternative lifestyle that they were living in and absorbed it as well into myself and extended from there, I suppose. It sounds like a nice, gentle upbringing. Yeah, it was. It's like it's, sometimes it's strange not to have any trauma <laughs> um, to talk, to sort of relate to people and talk to people when you get, when you haven't really got a huge amount of, trauma to to speak of um everyone's it's all relative i suppose but um mm. yeah i had a good upbringing and it's funny how when you explain that the vast majority of people that would hear about that kind of upbringing would probably use the term alternative or something similar yeah. to that you know it always seems like that's kind of the fringe and maybe it's the fringe because it's the uh it's sort of Oh, my headphone! My headphones have gone off. That's strange. Just wait for my computer speaker to come back on. It's it's really interesting when someone has an upbringing or an experience that is other than what society might call normal. Mm. 
And it's beautiful that you talk about this, uh, you know, this lack of trauma. Yeah. Because I think that in what we would probably term a traditional upbringing, implicit in that is some level of trauma, even if the parents don't mean it. It's just kind yeah. of the way it flows. Some kind of disconnect. Mm. And, um, you know, I said earlier, I felt like I was a bit of a storm boy of the hills. Mm-hmm. Because when I did meet people, um, friends later who lived in the suburbs, which was Perth, has got a very huge suburban sprawl on the plains. Goes for, <laughs> goes for like goes forever. Fifty k's each direction of the city. Um, their lifestyle. I was quite shocked at the urban sort of how boring it was, and and just. You lived like this all your life, you know, there was nowhere to play. I mean, we all did a lot back in those days. We were all riding around on bicycles a lot more and, and uh, mm. you know, getting out and, out and about. There was BMX tracks and things like that. But, um, yeah, I felt sorry for people, actually, how, how sort of limited the, the way that all the streets are laid out and the, you know, we never used to lock our doors or anything like that back in the day. Mm. <laughs> Such a just wander into each other's houses and yeah. like, hello and walk through the bush. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't have just... that experience. No, I grew up in the western suburbs of Melbourne. You locked your doors. Yeah. yeah. You locked your doors. And um, but I can remember as soon as you said we used to get out on our bikes that we used to do that as well because we were at we were at the end of Melbourne when yeah. I in, a, in the in the seventies and eighties. We're at the end of Melbourne. So probably more, more than mid eighties. So you go for a drop, you go for a ride, and you're in farmland in ten minutes. Yeah, it's paddocks and paddocks and paddocks, but uh, no, no green, no trees, no forests, no bush, yeah. just paddocks, and that's all now, houses and estates. Yeah, and it's kind of linked up all the way out, way past where we were as a kid. But yeah, just such a different idea. Yeah. Hmm. So that made me, um, I suppose it motivated me to try and solve that problem, which I saw, which is a sort of a disconnect Mm -hmm. um, of the domestic sort of urban sense, disconnect disconnect from community. And I didn't really have too many friends or anything, but I had close friends. So I also was sort of yearning a little bit for that. And so I, I did have a quite a lot of a, a lot of parties and a lot of, you know, socialising and ended up um, doing my art school degree, diploma, and um, setting up as a busker in the city, right in the city. I thought I'd attack it. And a lot of our friends were living right in the city at that time in the 80s and um, sort of like represent the artist, mm-hmm. you know, as a non-commercial kind of, I mean, I was busking, but, you know, just that's by donation. And just seeing people and then drawing what was around me on big board, uh, cardboard sheets with pastels and stuff like chalks and uh, using metaphors about what I saw around me. And it was very interesting. So that's how I sort of felt I better represent art and the artist and the creative sort of force, creative ability. I used to put also um, make like little memes Back in the, even back in the eighties and nine, early nineties, little posters, stickers, and I put them all around the city, mm-hmm. just like to get um, as I was walking around to leave little messages to make 
anonymous messages to make the sort of help the city speak back to the people so the walls weren't so oppressive. I noticed where all the graffiti was was on the ugly walls <laughs> or the work sites and things like that because people do have a sort of a sense of aesthetic and even the taggers you know they don't often tag like beautiful limestone walls or anything like that they sometimes do but it's always either the uh, train routes where they're gonna their message is going to be seen or their tag is going to be seen mm-hmm. which are pretty ugly anyway or um just ugly uh, ugly facades that don't speak to the people you know so i've had a always had a sense of like the aesthetics of are important in the world mm-hmm. um yeah and a hatred of advertising <laughs> not a hatred but like as a rule of thumb i don't know it, uh, advertising is just like you're wasting your time with me <laughs> and i'm a bit offended really that there's just like constant billboards and advertising in my face i didn't ask for the whole of my life mm. yeah so i've tried to do things that pull people together and bring a sense of community so nowadays i'm doing um uh, run a business called Rhythm Fix. So I'm um, fixing that lack of rhythm in people's lives that we just don't grow up with drumming much or rhythm in our lives. But people like music and the power of music. So I do drum circles and, and um, uh, so I had to get bookings for different drum circle events and drum workshops like African style drumming, but um, mixed up with the new modern uh, Western drum circle sort of jam session where it's not really a lesson or anything, but you're sort of all playing on different instruments and um, just Just enjoying into a groove together. Yeah. So it's not about teaching so much in that sense, although I do do that a bit too. So it's kind of like an empirical way of learning that rhythm by doing. Yeah. Just by um, showing people that they already have the spirit of rhythm inside them, but because it's it's sort of an exotic thing to do, you know, um, and not often people don't realize that they can drum together. Yeah, so drumming is one of those things. It's a bit like I relate it to choir as the only thing that comes close to, you could just get anybody together. So this is what I like to do is have um, spontaneous, like just use crowds and just go to where the crowd is, set up drums on the beach or wherever and make them accessible and see what happens. Hmm. There's a bit of tribal pull towards that kind of rhythm i think like you see that a lot there's, there's a cultural pull towards the rhythm and then you can you can see it in yeah various cultures around the world like you mentioned africa before and you can you just see how that blossoms out in, into this almost organic art form where people are moving and dancing and singing and some people are drumming and then maybe another instrument comes in from somewhere else and all yeah. of a sudden all these people are connected yeah and um you know the movement i suppose starts from the 60s and bongos and all that kind of stuff which is kind of why the reason people call drums bongos <laughs> which drummers just go oh no there it goes again um but uh and then it started getting facilitated slightly so uh i met this guy arthur hull who came to perth and uh, from america and he's kind of like the godfather of the drum drum circle movement which is just not letting it always run away with itself and train wreck into a big mess. Um, Although that's fun as well, letting the passion just like fly, but it tended, he he noticed that it tended to be dominated by men and um, power sort of thing, just because they were like, you know, excited, of course. Mm -hmm. But he showed me that you can use drum circles to 
help people self-facilitate eventually and pull their energy back, especially the masculine energy to control it so that you include kids and women and disabilities and people of all, you know, the whole community that's present. Um, so you use, there's a few sort of facilitation techniques you can use to, to mirror that or show that for people without even talking at all. So it becomes just discovered as you go. Sort of a gentle guidance. Yeah, gentle, yeah, facilitation, which means to make easy. So can you give me an example of how that would flow in a workshop or just an organic circle? Yeah, like uh, often you'll get, um, you know, a good drummer or a person from that, from a culture that's big on drums, uh, knows what they're doing, say in a community event and like plays really loudly and shows off and stuff. And so you, you would show them off and um, spotlight them with your hands go, everybody else come down, let's spotlight this person because mm -hmm. that's what they kind of want and um, give them their little 15 minutes of fame and then go back, for instance, to the, and then go back to the, to the rest of everybody and like use your hands to include everybody. Mm. Or um, nice. that's just one example, say for a person who's, who's just really passionate. It's not wrong, you know, but it's, um, just really passionate but, but but maybe is dominating the the overall volume or speed or whatever of the sound well, that's really nice in so far as you're giving that person what he or she wants freedom yeah. mm. and so you're you're allowing that to happen without yeah. without any insinuation that, that what they've done is wrong. You actually no, you step you into them, it. You let them hear it themselves. You step into it with them. I yeah. like that because yeah. the tendency I would say would be if someone is too much is to try and bring them down. Yeah. To tone police them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In all, in all things, not just drum circles. Mm. So that's a really lovely way of approaching it to give them the moment. And then, I would expect most people once they've been given their moment would work out that they can come back down and everyone else can come back up and it sort of balance itself out. Yeah. So they learn to self-facilitate, which is what you want them to do. Yeah. Ultimately. And you don't want to be like um, some people, like when you first start, you might be a conductor in that sort of director conductor because mm -hmm. people like to be shown, you know, as well. They feel safe. So you give them that safe space, but then yep. you, um, you get out of the way as well. <laughs> and just let it run itself oh, so, there's a lot in that yeah the getting yeah. out of the way yeah so i have to learn to do that myself and learn that it's not about the music it's not about musicality so much okay so you can like show that as well but it's about community and in and, and engagement and inclusiveness and so this has been a a discovery that I've had about the drum circle sort of scene, which often professional drummers, they don't like jamming with beginners <laughs> at all because of music. Really? It's not. See, I'm not a drummer. I played bass. So, you know, there's a connection to the rhythm there, but there's also, the, it's, it's the glue. So you've got to go between the ego of the guitarist. Yeah. And then the, you know, that, that rhythm, that drive of the drummer. And <laughs> trying yeah. To, ooh, how does that all hang together? Yeah, I play drum kit as well in, in bands and yeah. yeah. The rhythm section, baby, that's where it's all at. That's right. That's, that's the heart of the groove. Yeah. I do have a question you were talking about, like your example there was 
about the big personality in the group that most most of us would want to bring down and you shine the light on them and then they self-regulate and yeah what about the person who comes into the circle when he's really reserved and hardly making a noise on the drum Mm. how do you bring them into that community and encourage them to be louder and have more of a voice well i'll just go back a little bit you know like um we're talking about the drum and how it's sort of got this pool like it creates a um an ancestral memory comes through. Like if you see a drum and you walk past it, you've got this urge to tap it, of course, as you walk past. It's like it a piano as you. well. A it piano. You. Yeah. Anything that's easily accessible. Um, it doesn't matter that you don't know how to drum, but you want to hit it you know, as, you know, as you walk past, for instance. It's got a pool, like an ancestral memory of, mm. of you know, its power. Um. So in drum circles a lot, you'll see parents push their kids up, sit on the sit on the chair, Jimmy, and they'll stand behind them, thinking this is not for me. This is and and I do disabilities work as well. And the carer, I have to really encourage the carer to sit next to the, the client the, and drum along. Stop caring just for that. And the same with the yeah uh, the parents. I go no, you sit down next to them if you want them inspired. Sit down and get inspired and, mm. and be the inspiration. Like model your, yep. you know. You can't expect them just to get into it. Although kids will love it and they will. But um, yeah, it's, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. So I would, um, if the volume's a bit loud, I might bring the volume down. Um, I might stop the music and um, give them, you know, make other instruments accessible and put them next to them or swap things around or get them to change seats and, and try a different instrument. Cause I, I like to have varied percussion as well as just drums. If it's just djembes, it gets a bit boring mm-hmm. or everyone playing djembes. <laughs> so I have shakers and bells and all kinds of textures in there as well. And so, so do you find that the more reserved people end up getting pulled along in the flow? Yeah. What they, what is apparent, which you don't even really need to spell out is everybody is, um, the communality of the circle is so self-evident that everyone's holding it for each other. You're held in the heart of the drum circle and um, you can just stop playing and just watch if you want to. It's no, there's no pressure and there's no right and wrong. Ah, um, there you go. Yeah. yeah. And you can have fun. Like if it's getting a bit serious, you can, you can facilitate a little game or, 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 um, make the whole group do show them a rhythm that they can all do once together, which I call breaks. So break is like, you know, like in, you know, in music, you have a break in the, in the band, in the song, which the whole band sort of em- emphasizes and you go back to jamming. But after a while that, yeah, the jamming. So after about half an hour, people are warmed up into the beats. So they feel where the pulse is the beat. Uh, it's all implied by everybody. And mm. um, I recorded a lot of my disability sessions where you know, it's disabilities all every range of from cerebral palsy and wheelchairs, which they can hardly even lift the stick up to um, Down syndrome and all kinds of, they might have motor coordination like that. Um, it might be slow on the beat, but it overall produces this amazing texture, which is completely never to be, you know, it's a one-off thing. It's never to happen again. Yeah, it's like it completely in the moment, right? <laughs> and it might be all around the beat, but the overall, you know, the pulse is felt. 
There's something, there's something about nice the, about that that little lagging behind the beat a little bit, just pushing yeah. it along, not being right yeah. on it. So I've learned to enjoy that sound, yeah. whereas other drummers might not like that at all. <laughs> well, I guess it's a, it's a different uh, expectation and reason for the rhythm, right? Yeah, it's like, a different reason. That's right. It's interesting looking at... Uh, I'm... Um, I'm a, I'm a bedroom bass guitarist and I've played guitar very badly for you know, a couple of decades and I've only recently yeah. in the last three or four years moved over to bass. But I'm deeply interested in music and how it all hangs together. And so, you know, I mean, I'm even teaching myself theory at the moment just to, just to really understand things like intervals and rhythm and timing and, and how all this hangs together to make something musical. It's yeah. almost like, understanding mathematics and it explains how the universe hangs together right but mm. the universe is still beautiful even if you understand the mathematics that's right and i did have a point that i've now lost <laughs> in, in that conversation in that conversation but what i, I what, oh, that's what I, that's what i was going to say of people of different levels and yeah yeah and what i've, what I've or... been noticing is there's this um discussion in and around how music at the moment is very much um it's quantified it's all it's all on the grid yeah, and there's no swing to it, and, no. but but I don't dislike that. Like if I'm listening to something electronic, I know that it's supposed to be mechanical and it's supposed to drive that rhythm, and there's an expectation that it's going to hit. Yeah, you know, one two three four, one two three four, one two three four. There's not going to be much movement on that. And if I go back and listen to Led Zeppelin, I know John Bonham's not hitting it perfect. Mm. Like it's all it's all what worked when they were jamming that song and it got recorded. <laughs> Yeah. So it's not supposed to be on the grid. So all these little no, I, nuances, and, and I just love investigating that. I've, I've sat in circles where the drums have come out before. And just to take yourself out of it and listen sometimes, what gets created organically, it's a wonderful experience. I can appreciate why you're involved in it. Yeah. It's great. I do a bit of drum skinning as well. So I'm sort of surrounding myself in... You know, the, the name Rhythm Fix for my business has got a double meaning. So I fix drums. Ah, well. there you go. I replace skins on djembes, bongos, congas, stuff like that. How have you found that this work in and around rhythm and people with disabilities is travelling? What does it open up for them? Well, I also supplement my, my business as a support worker. So I do um, support for mental health and disabilities. Sure. Cool. Um, so I... Because I've been doing the the disabilities drumming, I had a class that was a weekly class. Um, it's been going for over ten years now, so I, I got to know a lot of, and I've tried other classes and other areas like um, sessions. So I basically knew everybody with a disability in, in Perth. <laughs> I got to meet a lot of them anyway, that were out and about. So um, they were already kind of acquainted to me as well. Mm -hmm. And um, when I became a support worker, you got to see them again and and uh, see them on a different level. What was the original question again about? I was just wondering how, how you find that it, it works. What does it open up for these people? Is it about the inclusion in, in, in something? Is it about the creativity? Is it about, is it what, straight back to the rhythm? You know, does it, is that helpful? Yeah, they love repetition. Like just the same, social, it becomes a social event mm. and they see all their friends. Um, and I, I, I put a, when you know, drums makes you, make you want to move so we have a dancing yes. anyone can get up and dance at any time of course but and they sometimes do but um we have the last 15 minutes we do dancing and um 
uh, you know, conga lines and the limbo and, <laughs> the limbo. and stuff like that. So um, there's a bit of inclusion there and hopefully the carers get involved as well with that. Um, there's a lot going on. Yeah. So it's a social, it's a social event that they like to come back to again and again. And do you, do you run those well. workshops when you're, I mean, because clearly there's a broad range of disabilities and therefore different things that they're going on for someone in that situation and the care is, do you run them in the same way as? Uh, no, I've had to focus? learn. Yeah, I've had to learn how to do it. Okay. And just in the way you facilitate it. Yeah. Um, with disabilities, and that's the good thing about the drum circles, because um, there's no right and wrong. It's not a lesson so much mm -hmm. it's a jam session um but you can show and direct and conduct in different ways facilitate um yeah so you can't teach anything and it's it's a bit similar i suppose to kindy and preschool pre-primary um you have to learn how to do those ones as well um and aged care so i do aged care a lot as well and that's very similar, like people with dementia and things, you're not going to be able to teach them anything so much. You can, you can all do certain rhythms and show rhythms that they can uh, accentuate. Mm. And I kind of sing songs over the top that match those rhythms or songs that they'd know, you know, modern contemporary stuff. So just to make them feel more, or the old songs, if it's aged care, the old songs that they know. Awesome. Um, to make them realize that it all rhythms are just they can go with anything you know it doesn't have to be only an african thing or whatever culture so that's what i like to do drum circles as well is because i can own it as my culture it's an actual you won't find often you won't find any kind of jamming um on a regular basis in traditional cultures they have their own specific way of their own specific drums and songs and dances that um, if you didn't play them properly, it'd be a bit sort of offensive in a way. Oh, right, okay. um, so you have to learn all that. Um, but so the modern drum circle is something I enjoy because it's a new tradition that I'm sort of bringing to the modern world. It's a new tradition. That's how so I see it. Mounting the old and the new and getting something completely fresh out of it. Yeah. And you get, and it, you know, there's good things about being in, in the, um, as a sort of a modern or in what do you call it person from the modern western world first world you know that privileged space there is positive things as well that we can uh, own in there like an overview like often people will say well you know we can be down on ourselves for um what do you call it when you appropriating other people's cultures for instance um but with the drum circle i feel like i'm, I'm not not doing that I can leave, and I don't do many African drumming workshops where I'm teaching specific things from West African culture, for instance, because there's people over here that can do that. So I leave that up to them usually. But the drum circle thing is definitely, I can feel like it's my culture. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I really like that. I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't thought of all of the layers that could come out of something. That, that just seems so simple on the surface. And I mean that with all due respect, you know, like the mm. idea of a drum circle doesn't initially seem like there's a lot to it. And clearly there is, right? Cause I'm thinking drum circle, community, rhythm, fun, 
Yeah. So you have to sell it. Uh, people have got, basically, they've got drum workshop in their minds. So when they book me, they go, oh, can we do a drum workshop for blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, I can do a drum workshop for adults or, you know, high school kids or whatever like that. But mixed ages, if it's a community event or mixed ages, drum circles are the best best thing to do. Because then yeah. a kid of four can be have just as much engagement and enjoyment as a you know a sixteen year old. Yeah, there's something about free flowing activity without an agenda, mm. without a set of rules, and like you've said a couple of times, without that right and wrong, and the teacher pupil thing. Hmm. Like facilitating is sort of sitting in the in the middle between teacher mode and just friend, just like hmm. having an experience together. So when over the years, you know, like um, I get a lot of re- requests for like, can you teach my kid this, or can we have a you know a joiner drum circle, a joiner? Uh, uh, can you teach me drums? But people actually want a, uh, a rhythmic experience. They don't really they're not going to go on the drummer's path and become an actual drummer, like a professional drummer, probably. So I've learned that the rhythmic experience, just the um, entering the heart of drumming for people is a different, you can teach, they want to be taught a little bit and also they just want to have a jam together and like have an experience. Mm. What They know subconsciously or unconsciously what it can bring, you know? So that's what I do. I try and sort of, it is a spiritual thing, just like dancing is a spiritual thing for yourself as an expression. But I don't have any spiritual, like I don't say it's shamanic drumming or any particular, I don't want to push any particular, you know, spiritual new age outlook at all. Well, and then it can be for someone if that's what they it choose. It can be, yeah. So when I entered... Um, I used to love, you know, in the 80s, it was all the Smiths and dancing around to like alternative, like we, like we were saying before, you had basically, you had the alternative in the mainstream. And <laughs> so the alternative was just called the alternative. Um, then it sort of branched out into mm. and indie and all that sort of stuff. Um, oh, where were they going with that? Uh, it's all right, time. tangents are beautiful, take your time. Yeah. Oh, no, I've lost it. <laughs> That's all right. We can jump tracks to something else if you want. Mm. It's no problem at all. I like when you when we first connected and we just had messaged back and forth. You said, I'm not a blokey bloke. No. I don't even like know I what that is anymore, though. I don't hang out. If, if I'm, you know, at a party or something like that or a gathering and there's, I don't talk about sports and and the normal cars and the blokey sort of world. And I just sort of, I find myself hanging out with women more <laughs> or different kind or, or, you know, gay guys or like different, you know, people from different that aren't, um, it's not like I can't do that or I put, see that as a derogatory part of masculinity or anything like that, but I'm just not interested. It's just not your bag, baby. No, no. <laughs> So I'll sort of end up walking away from those guys and and um, find somebody, you know, usually find someone interesting, no matter who they are, really, to talk There's to. always an interesting person somewhere. Mm. So I don't have, I've been listening, I've been thinking about this a lot I've, on a few men's groups on Facebook and 
I don't really, like I kind of like my solitude. I don't have too many close friends that are, that are men. I've got a couple and a couple of uh, women close, close friends. I've been trying to um, nurture platonic friendships with women, um, which has been, been a, a really good thing to do. Actually, just sort of over the years, leave it there. Yeah. And so um, I don't feel bad about that, not having a huge group of friends, but I have a lot of weak connections, what they call weak links, which um, in, you know, sociology, which sort of are very important as well. So the drum circle sort of thing is what I'm basically um, uh, enabling a situation, a gathering point for people to connect like a party, you might connect again and again if you're in the same scene of people at parties, but there's still sort of like just acquaintances, weak links, but you're all like, um, it still give, gives a sense of belonging and a good sense of community. That's indispensable, I think. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because there's such a push in modern society, at least I feel, to have X number of friends and that... yeah. They, they, they need to have a, there needs to be a certain degree of closeness among mm. that group and somehow you're inferior or not enough mm. if you don't have X number of friends. And I've, I've, I've always gone for quality over quantity. That's right. Yeah. And, and I love connecting with people. Mm. And yet after I connect with people, I need some time to recharge. Yeah. So, and it will be true after this conversation that I have with you that there'll be 30 minutes to 60 minutes where I don't do much at all. Mm. just let my batteries charge back up, you know, because I'm an introvert. I, I love people. I love spending time with people, but I give my energy and don't get yeah. my energy from that experience. Okay. And I love it. I, yeah. I, like, I, I like that. I love sitting and listening to your story, but I will need time to recharge. I've got a bit of both in me. Like um, I probably call myself an ambivert. It's a beautiful term. <laughs> so like I'm extra, I can be extroverted. Then I can be also, you know, like, in relationships, people go, you know, you're very quiet, you know, because mm. I don't feel like I need to say anything. And I no, it's all right, right now. Anything sometimes. And but it's got, it can take me a day or two to, to respond about something that I'm, you know, interested or, or has been a bit challenging, for instance, mm -hmm. relationships. Yeah. I think there's a bit of each of, like, when we talk extroversion, introversion, we, we all flip it's like the, yeah. the beautiful the beautiful yin yang symbol right where you know there's a duality but there's a bit of each yeah so we can we can all be if we're extroverted and crazy at parties and rah 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 rah, rah. Mm. it could be that we just have energy at that moment and then we've got to go home and recharge so it might be an introvert mm. or that person who's rah, rah 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 could be the extrovert and then at some other time they're really withdrawn or less involved that the, the typical kind of introvert yeah but I remember what I was going to say again before. It's about social gatherings, parties, and mm -hmm. how, um, like, I didn't, like, you can be extroverted, a lot of woo like sending out signals mm -hmm. uh, in the way you dance as well and the way you interact with people. You can really um, ice break on your own. Like, not, I didn't have a, I'm not coming from a vein, a sort of a sense of vanity or like, look at me, but just like, you can actually influence the whole crowd oh, quite yeah. easily and get them yeah. really excited. <laughs> so I was always interested in that. And like, um, so I got into the, 
after all the alternative music scene that sort of died off and then the rave scene came in and that went all a bit yes, pretty commercial pretty quickly and um so I was a bit sort of like oh what's what's for me to dance to anymore got into some African groups which got uh, bands which got quite popular and we used to tour across Australia a lot so then I uh, we went to Sydney once and I discovered the Doof scene over there which um, was just sort of starting out and, uh, so that's the Doof is like the organic of rave I suppose you'd call it it's like the DIY version which I really love all and so that sort of made me access dancing again and um, I got straight into that whole scene for a lot and it's because of its um inclusivity and um the the beats became sort of like like we were saying about music you know there's swung feels and there's all kinds of grooves and feels but the actual repetition the electronic repetition of those beats didn't um i didn't hear it in a turn even in a really in a musical way it was more of like a like a you know when people do skip rope you got to keep you can't have a sort of a beat that's going everywhere you've got to have, you've got to have a, a straight pulse and then so you can jump in and jump out whenever you want to mm. and so that's doof, doof, like the trance music was like that for me it was like um, a mother not- beat that you could just hold you and you could it was sort of instrumental songs it wasn't like a song that you were listening to with a narrative no it's it, didn't, it didn't and there's nothing quite like there's nothing quite like being out at a bush doof with six thousand yeah. people at three in the morning dancing to side trance yeah i mean that's just about as tribal as it gets yeah you could be it can be spiritual. It can be hedonistic at the same time on mm. flipping those things. So that's what I loved about it. And it can oscillate between the two almost in the same moment sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I just start, once I got back to Perth, I started doing those, bringing it to Perth. Oh, really? Awesome. <laughs> so I was one of the first people with a few crew here who started doing doofs, yeah, back in like 94, 95, 96. Yeah, it's interesting. Right now, there's there have been a couple of, as you say, DIY bush doofs that have tried to get off the ground, like just in the hinterland in this area, mm. and they end up not making it because every time it's about to happen, something pandemic-wise uh, yeah. pops its head up. Yeah, and so everyone's behaving themselves, which is lovely. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's like oh, you could you know, all of a sudden there's an event that a hundred or so people are going to go to, so it's going to be nice and intimate. Mm. Some, some decent local DJs applying their trade, doing their thing. It's no cost yeah. to get in. It's all community. And then falls over. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking for that. I'm looking forward to the time when that can come back because there was just something lovely about it's almost, it's almost got that underground feeling again, like a doof would kick yeah. off and no one would know which warehouse it was in. Yeah, totally. You, you didn't know unless you knew. That's right. And and there's nothing nefarious about the stuff I'm talking about now. But it's it's like, oh, yeah, it kind of, it's kind of got that feel about it again. Oh, oh it's, you know, this is under the radar. Yeah, not illegal, not an illegal rave or anything like that. It's under the radar. It's not going to be commercial. There's no fiscal incentive to run this. No. Thing. And um, one of the one of my joys in life at the moment is um, going to regional Burning Man events, mm. which are now propping up all over the world. Um, so one of their principles is decommodification. So. You can't actually, apart from the ticket price, you can't actually buy or sell anything there, which is so lovely. I love it. <laughs> it's a wonderful concept. Like re- yeah. return to basics. And and people, when they're given permission, they just gift like crazy. Like they, everything's, you know, they want to gift. 
and want to see the pleasure on your face and you know the sharing mm. so i'm right into that sort of world and even in I mean, it's a bit anarchic you know like an anarchic example of what could what could we do nothing wrong so with my anarchy. um social life is like that as well so i my in terms of relationships i would sort of um i'm very much relationship anarchy i don't know if you've heard of that Go for it. Explain it. So I'm not going to pretend I know it because I might be, I might be knowing it in my own way and I don't really. Mm. So please explain. So I'm, I'm very. It's interested. a form of non-monogamy, um, where you're you count your you sort of like trying to um, lose the labels, labeling anything. You count your friends and all your connections that are significant as significant, which they are, and no more significant than a romantic relationship. And so, um, yeah, it's sort of um, got similarities to polyamory. So I would call myself polyamorous as well, sort of, um, and that's got lots of different versions, as many versions as basically you can have in designing relationships, you know, between people, what you Mm -hmm. want. So I call myself solo polyamory. So I'm um, non-hierarchical, non uh, sort of more egalitarian. Everyone's on the same level. Although everyone's different and offers different things to you. Um, yeah. I'm not so much into hierarchies of importance. Yeah. Except for like... Of course, you're going to have things like um, you've been with someone for a longer time than somebody else, for instance. Um, they're going to have a position in your heart that's already become, I can only sort of like describe it in terms of like the word golden, become more just over time. That's what time does. Proximity and time really is what relationships are based on. How close you are, how intimate you are and how, how much time you've been with them. So yeah, that factors in, and the fact that they're already there in your life. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I've I've had a lot of discussions with with my male friends of recent times about monogamy and and whatever the opposite might be or alternative, maybe I don't even know what the right word is in there. No, this monog- is from men with within relationships that are quite happy with a completely monogamous relationship, but the discussion point comes up. Mm. So it's just an it's an interesting thing to investigate. Yeah. Because it's outside of my realm. Um, I've just felt I must be this way. I must have always been this way because my dating life anyway, because although I've only really had monogamous relationships because I never met anyone who wanted to be non-monogamous um, and I didn't really know the terms for it all back in the day, but um, now I am. I've been living non-monogamously for about seven years and I'm the most happiest I've ever been awesome that's what it's about right like it's challenging though (laughs) I would would expect in my with my limited understanding of non-monogamous relationships that the the logistics and the emotions involved and it it has to work with the right people with the right expectations and when I say right I mean appropriate for that arrangement shall we say yeah and finding people like that is very especially over here in wa where there's less population of course it's um well anywhere 
Yeah. And it's another thing where, where you're almost fighting the norms of what society has been like since whenever. There's lots of um, misunderstanding and prejudice. And so you'll find that mon successful non-monogamous people are quite discreet. And so you, you, you probably don't think that it's such a popular thing that it actually is mm -hmm. <laughs> because you won't hear about it so much. You'll hear about all the failures. Oh, of course. They get talked about way more. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't that true of most things that are sort of a little bit, shall we say, fringe? Yeah. You know, and uh, of course, all... not all relationships last forever anyway. No, of course not. They are. No. Or should last forever. And, and there's something beautiful in the natural flow of a relationship. And I, I think we can all honour that, that mm. maybe there is the genesis of the relationship, then there's the actual experience of the relationship, and then sometimes there is the death of the relationship. Yeah. And it doesn't, the death doesn't always have to be a negative. No. So what's come to mind recently is that I prefer to, so I prefer to start with friendship anyway, no matter mm -hmm. what happens. Um, and you'll find that endings aren't really endings anymore unless you've had a big you know you've been abused or you feel you know wronged or something uh -huh. um i don't know really a transition maybe anymore. it's just a transition yeah yeah mm. yeah i can see that so it can look like you're what you you know boundarylessness threatens people often they don't they don't know where they are they need to know and that's well, true, true. I mean, that, that harks well, back to this eternal desire of the human being to have control. Yeah. And feeling safer when there is control. Yeah. So I like to build that sense of self-control, come from the centre first. Like I'm, I would consider myself a solo polyamory people or relationship anarchy often say that they're the, they're their primary partner. Hmm. So the only hierarchy you have is look after yourself first in terms of your health and your mental health and, and, you know, maybe if you have a family that comes next and looking after your children and your, and your family well, and then nice, relationships, yeah, all on the kind of on the same level for me, all love is coming from my heart, mm. no matter who I'm loving, you know, and it's just different appropriatenesses and different intimacies. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's beautiful. You don't have to be polyamorous to appreciate the beauty in that. No. And I don't also think monogamy is you know a failure or anything like that but um we just got to be conscious and bring as not as much consciousness and care and kindness into our whatever relationship we have but just it helps helped me to see that you're in relation all the time with everything really you're in relation to your life to yourself and your life story as, you, as it goes past your body the world around you nature you're always relating and so to cordon off relationships as being, this is my significant one, just doesn't feel authentic for me to, to narrow it down or to stop at one person um, romantically, for instance. Mm. So, so would, would the way your relationships work just be that you are spending time with the person that you are drawn to at that moment? Um. Well, like I said before, you have, so I've got um, two partners at the moment. Even the word partner, I don't like, like, you know, but you, I would just like to call everyone my friend, but 
that's sort of not seen as significant enough, I suppose, is it? <laughs> well, but, we have um, ideas, you know, around what the roles are. Yeah, they lovers as well, but they're also friends, you know. Um, and then you might have lovers that are, you don't see very often that are just... Um, it got weird when people started casual. using the term significant other. I felt yeah. that just feels so clinical to me. I know. Really, my wife is my clinical, my, my, my significant other. Mm. Oh, well, I, well, I guess, I guess in some sense, yes. Mm. But that just, that doesn't feel like what my relationship with my wife is. No. I mean, my wife doesn't. All labels wife, fail like that, really. At, at some point they have to fail. Yeah. So Even within my say, relationships, I don't use labels anymore. I try not to. It's, in, it's, it's a strange one. I mean, even when I say, when I'm saying wife to you right now, that doesn't describe it to me, like what my relationship with her no. is. Because it's really incomparable to anybody else and indescribable mm. to a certain extent because it is a spiritual thing. It's your life going past. It's like there's the importance in there. Mm. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know how I would explain it. It's just like she's the one I'm connected to right now. Mm. Yeah. So, no, I don't flip around. I'm not um, flighty <laughs> or anything like that. But I, I give myself the freedom to um, always access that that's the main kind of thing is like a not being enclosed not seeing relationships as um not seeing exclusivity in relationships as being a sign of significance mm, okay so um but, but you can do this with monogamy as well just with your friends to like you know often we we when we have a a relationship, a romantic relationship, we can tend to put a, put a, a barrier around how often you might see friends or sure, or even be by yourself. And um, I definitely, I, yeah, I don't almost like that. as if there's no life doubt. outside of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Relationship gives a real uh, a safe container and can produce a lot of contentment that way and satisfaction. But when you, we all know that that um, to invigorate a, a relationship, it's good to have like a, you might go on a, a holiday by yourself or you might have a bit of wind, the wind, let the wind blow through between you two, like have a little absence makes the heart grow fonder kind of thing. It does. Um, and that invigorates, you come back, you, you have a bit of perspective on, on why you like that person, why you've chosen that person. So that kind of sense of freedom, I really enjoy. It gives me, like I never want to feel obliged to be with someone so as a solo polyamorous we don't often we can do but we don't often nest with anybody or um and at this time of my life um i feel like i've done all that enough now so i'm not really interested in living with anybody living with mm-hmm. a partner mm-hmm. and you said you're a single like dad, space and choosing to to go to someone yeah yeah, yeah. sorry i was just i was cross purposes there i was thinking but I'm sure you mentioned you were a single dad as well. Yeah. And so are your children with you? Are they elsewhere? They stay with me. Uh, I picked them up Saturday at one o'clock. <laughs> well, sort of just around midday. Yeah. And they stay with me till Tuesday morning. I drop them off to school on Tuesday morning in the school week. Mm. Yeah, so they stay sort of three nights and four nights at their mum's. How many kids do you have? Fairly equal. At first I was like, oh, I don't get a weekend. and <laughs> But um that's a bum deal no but actually i really enjoy it now i get friday night 
and they're pretty cool. They're like um, 14, 16, 18, and they know about my polyamorous lifestyle and they've, um, they meet my partners. Uh -huh. mm. Lots of questions. No, they're really? just cool. They're cool with it. Yeah. Um, they just, I just said it's consenting. Everybody knows about each other. They might not, you know, your partners might not have met each other. Depends on what kind of like polyamory you like. Uh -huh. It can be what's called pa parallel poly, which your partners never, they don't have any inclination to meet, but they could if they wanted to. Um, and then there's kitchen table poly, what they call it, which is everyone loves to meet each other and like discuss stuff and right. share it all. Wow. That's cool. Mm. So they're fine with it. They haven't said they're not fine. And I talk to, talk to them fairly often about it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting age span that, like there's a lot happening at the, like, developmentally for. Yeah. Teens well, and 16 year olds just got a girlfriend. Uh -huh. um, all boys. Yeah. All boys. So um, I was a bit of a late starter in my life. I think I had my first kiss when I was like 20, 19. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't really, I said to my boys, don't worry about that sort of thing. You know, they're all no, Holy shit. No. <laughs> like, like, there's a, like there's a timetable and a schedule on that stuff. Yeah. 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 My, like my 13 year old boy doesn't know that girls exist. That's awesome. Fine. Mm. Great. Well, you don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know if girls his thing. I don't care. No. Like, if that sort of romantic or intimate or sexual thing, you know, comes in as you move in through high school, fine. Mm -hmm. There's no rush. No. Like, do it on your time. That's right. It's this weird idea that you know, like, by the time you hit this age, you should have had your first girlfriend or boyfriend and had sex and done this and ah. Oh, yeah. Hurts my brain. Well, the they are milestones and they will, even if you wait and have patience, they'll be even more significant and intense, I suppose. Yeah, or, or not. And that's okay as well, right? Like sometimes you don't need to make a big thing out of it. Some, for some people, no, no. for some people, these milestones are big things and for other people, it's just like they just happen in the flow of time. Mm. I can remember. So, I, you know, I went through high school and into uni in the 90s and all of this stuff was big. Like how many and when and what and how old were yeah, you? Yeah. Oh, really? Who cares? And we got something <laughs> more interesting to talk about than uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Like like numbers are the important part of this equation, this whole yeah. experience, this whole thing. Sometimes I go, sometimes you know, like people might say, Oh, you just you know, you're wanting a harem or you're just wanting ego stroking. That's why you want more than one partner. And um, I've never been like that. <laughs> um, in fact, I've been like my whole life's been very about ego dissolution and Ooh, yeah. non duality. And um, I'm actually now um, trying to, trying to, what's the word uh, I'm, I'm into more embodiment and trying to um, 
create a solid ego for myself, actually build it a bit more. That word embodiment keeps coming up for me at the moment with these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So um, I've done a lot of transcending and a lot of um, transcendental stuff and a lot of um, psychedelic journeys and um, always good fun. Yeah. And I've felt now um, a lot more pull to actually, I don't think the, you know, like you said, for identity in relationships, I noticed I was getting stepped a lot, stepped around a lot, stepped over and sort of, I didn't set boundaries very often for myself. I just let everything, I just thought oh, I can deal with everything, you know, um, it's all water off a duck's back. Nothing's mm. going to, but that created a kind of a distance and uh, I come across, I could come across as being sort of apathetic to or passionless a little bit. And because I just let everything slide. And so I'm learning not to, I'm learning to stand up for myself and uh, access. Them. So my, my shadow was anger. And um, that's what I'm trying to learn to access is to be able to be, to use anger as a positive, in a positive way or assertiveness or boundary setting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or yeah, to just check in with yourself what you need first. Selfishness is not a is not a a bad thing. Yeah, it's the old adage about putting on your own oxygen mask first. Yeah, you know that whether you're kind or not, or whether you're doing the right thing or not inside. And I've always felt that. Mm. Um, like I like relate. I like I tend to pick people that are going to challenge me and push my buttons a little bit and so I can really you know be the best best person like so just improve really improve myself yeah. all the time and yeah, that's the, polyamory does that for sure <laughs> sure it does there's something to be learned from you know finding those things that make you feel uncomfortable and and then having the courage to investigate to lean yeah. in, to lean in yeah. or jump in even because you might think well I'm pretty I'm doing all right, and but you actually hide those. You hide your worst bits from yourself. So those bits that aren't mm. maybe quite so developed or mature, um, they're the bits you're hiding mostly from yourself because they're whatever reason it's hard to go there or uh, unknown. Yeah. So you do need. So that's what's great about relationships and relationships of all levels. It was they reflect back. It's just a reflecting mechanism. And, um. Hopefully you can reflect back on yourself and whether you went too far one time or not far enough. <laughs> yeah. And having more, uh, it's not about quantity, like we were saying before, it's about quality, but um, so I don't have, I'm not polyamorous because I want a certain amount of partners or anything like that. Um, whoever I've got is in my life forever, potentially. So logistically, I can't really, Three is kind of a lot uh, like enough <laughs> in terms of close romantic partners, but I've got two at the moment. And, um, but then I see uh, an ex-partner. He's, a, he's my best friend now. So I see them once a week too. Yeah. Yeah. My, my brain just going over logistics. Mm. Well, you sort of nutted out uh, in advance, you know, or, and things can tend to sort of like fall on certain days because that's what's easiest mm-hmm. or convenient. Um, 
Yeah. I like the idea of the freedom behind it and this like disillusion of roles and, and responsibilities and, and the, you know, the idea around what a word means. Yeah, we tend to see, like you dissect what a relationship really is for you mm. and like um, unpack it and sort of some, you know, people will like the idea of a relationship more than they actually love the person in it, you know, and um, what it brings for them, the relationship brings in terms of security and stability and mm. structure and things like that. Whereas that to me is like a side benefit um, that you know, like what we were saying, it can be challenging and an ordeal in some, on some levels and not always pleasant and um, not to put up with abuse or anything like that, but um uh those sort of things make you grow i find and um so i like the challenge of it and what i'm taking out of this most is regardless of the multiple partners uh whatever label gets put on that it's the idea of taking care of oneself and understanding oneself as a starting point yeah and then then what that brings into whatever relationship or relationships to be self-contained um in a sense of um what's the word independent i suppose mm-hmm. it's just yeah independence yeah. and then interdependence yeah rather than codependent yeah being able to flow between one and the other like to not be too arrogantly unyielding in your sort of like stance as well which can happen uh, to factor in kindness anyway mm. factor in how how the pace of your partner as well and how fast they can go because um as i was sort of getting to before there's not many polyamorous people over here so a lot of my partners actually have been monogamous um so i've had monopoly relationships which are the the hardest kind of type to have in the poly world um but they've been poly friendly or probably curious monogamous people (laughs) um yeah um so that's been challenging for them as well and you've got to factor that in and go at their pace Mm -hmm. that's just a respect for other people and where they are and yeah what their belief systems are and where they are on their journey and where are the intersections between my values and my beliefs and theirs yeah rather than my way or the highway that's right so there's a bit of that my way the highway when you need to set a boundary for yourself and and stay true to yourself mm-hmm. i can see that which i've found because if you yield you bend the knee too much it's it sort of loses it can be um not really it doesn't solve those problems that you might be having in the first place with each other with mm. a sense of security for the other person or anything well steps back to boundaries and, and i mean all of us have our non-negotiables yeah yeah and it's like where do where do they fit how how do we come together mm. as individuals and form this other entity that is relationship yeah so new partners of course i'll tell them straight away if like I have met people off Tinder, my, my best friend I met on Tinder and, and other partners. So it's actually actually hasn't been like bad to just to sort of use those apps to kind of like scour the 
population for people who have of similar interest. I, I don't see any wrong with that at all. But um, you have to, like I say, straight up who I am and mm. pretty much, yeah. When you start with honesty, you, sa you save yourself all the problems later on. I've just had so many women say to me, um, I'm so, it's so refreshing to hear you like tell the truth and be upfront and authentic and genuine and that even though they're not, might, might be not interested. And I'm genuinely coming from nowadays, like I don't feel like I, I'm so desperate for a relationship that um, uh, like, I, like, you know, when people talk about the friend zone is a bad place. <laughs> I just don't understand that at all. Well, I so guess I, it's a, I guess it's a bad place if you want the relationship to be other than it is and the other person yeah. is going to move and it's just, it's just the different desires that make it a bad place. Yeah. But then they will like, we'll see you later then. But why do you have to see them? Why can't you still, what's wrong with a friendship? Yeah. People say, Oh, I haven't got time for that. I just want, you know, something that's going to be totally satisfying and fulfilling and like, so just discard that person. If you're putting the friend zone, that's it. You know, and it's, I've actually, I wanted to set up a, a dating app called the friend zone. <laughs> but I think a lot of those dating apps that, you know, you can, you, you can be on that level anyway. So I sort sure. of that idea, but um, yeah, the friend zone is the place to start at, I reckon. Hmm. If it's not a friend, it's like, that's the ground, that's the fundamental, that's the ground of, of, of a good relationship. Well, see, the interesting, where it goes. the interesting thing about everything we've been talking about thus far is sex has not come up once. All right? no. And that would be almost the immediate thing that pops into people's heads when you talk about polyamorous yeah. relationships and not. You want to have as much sex as possible. And I, I, and I would say, well, yeah, that's, there's nothing wrong with that either. <laughs> but it's not necessarily the goal of the arrangement, no. right? Like, no. The, the, what pops into your head or what pops into other people's heads about this kind of thing. And it's, it's all based on one's own experience or understanding. And we're not even talking about relationship or like, you're just, you're just thinking about an activity, not a relationship. Well, they're all, um, all relationships really are dyadic in the sense that it's one-on-one -on -one exchange that's going on usually. And um, no matter if you have like, 10 kids when you're connecting with a with a, a person it's one-on-one -on -one sort of like connection so mm. that's where the magic happens and what's important yeah yeah, yeah right well, so yeah, the same really in any relationship polyamorous relationships aren't any different really that they're in one that thing at a time. yeah it's amazing what we fixate on though isn't it mm. I guarantee you when this podcast episode goes out there and I write some show notes about who you are and what we had a discussion about, people's interest will peak. Yeah. And they're going to think that this is going to be a 60 to 90 minutes discussion about sex with multiple partners. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've always been um, fairly sexual, um, sex positive. I don't have really any scruples. I'm not really, you know, personally into kink or anything like that but um i'm more sort of down the tantric end i suppose mm -hmm. like i get a lot of buzz out of just connecting um the raw connection that sexuality brings and that and facing that it's tapping into the power of it isn't it really yeah and that sharing um 
but it's more about the freedom, I suppose, and yeah, freedom to choose up. and variety and, um, yeah. But you have to kind of get to a level of non-comparison. Like, people are incomparable. That's how I just see it. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're so... People are so amazing and they've got their own uh, diamond inside, their own story, their own diamond, their own life. It's... it's um, it's so valuable anyway, on any level. I really like that. Yeah, that I have to sort of honour that. There's different forms of non-monogamy. So you've got like it encompasses swinging and and I suppose polygamy and things like that. It's more, um, swinging is more for sex mm-hmm. usually. And then people will find if they've been doing that for a while, they might get bored of that and actually want to develop feelings or they can't help it, which happens. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, polyamory is more about relationships and love, hmm. connection. Well, it's in the it's in the word, isn't it? Yeah. So, one important book that's just come out is called Polysecure, which is all about attachment theory and polyamory, which has been really invaluable. Polysecure. Yeah. Do you know the is, author's name? Um, uh, Put you on the spot. Jessica Fern. Jessica. Jessica. Yeah, Jessica Fern. Okay. So that's um, a bit of a groundbreaking book uh, because inherently non-monogamy is a bit insecure um, in terms of what it can bring up for you and stuff. So Mm. you learn to feel secure in yourself and it's really only time. There's all kinds of things you can do, of course, um, to make you more secure, but it's really only time that like the sense of commitment for me when um, is something that I look back on. Commitment's not something I can forecast. Um, you can forecast a, 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 a desire for that. Uh, you know, everybody who's in my life as a partner is is there for forever, basically, uh, unless it's some sort of abuse comes up or something else. I don't know, um, but it, potentially they're there forever. Mm. So commitment is something. I don't go, it's really hard to sort of promise somebody or forecast loyalty and commitment in advance. It's something that develops and you look back on, you go through milestones and things like that. And you look back and go, we've been committed all this time and we've, you know, so yeah, I can't offer that as a, I don't think it's, I think it's a fantasy we place on top and on relationships. And that often that's the only downfall of monogamy, which tends to, as a default, uh, imply that that's there. But within any relationship, you could end, you know, for any reason. And we shouldn't sort of like just uh, pretend that that's giving us a sense of security. Mm-hmm. It's not really real, I don't think. you could have just trust in the end that the person wants to be with you. And I'd, I'd rather people, Bingo. they don't want to be with me, don't. Yeah. Know? Just like, even if that's for a week, like they've got to have time out from it, it's too much or whatever, but their mind always, always open. Well, then, you you know, you're not having to manage expectations because they've been set. Mm. Yeah, Honesty is the default behaviour. Yeah. So no trust obligation. is implied. No obligation. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Except from, for what you want to do, how you want to share. Coming just straight from your heart. So a lot of radical honesty is needed and then mm. tact, 
<laughs> so I can tend to be, what I'm learning about myself is I can tend to be tactless um, in my timing of what I say. <laughs> Being radically honest, but not in the most tactful manner. Yeah. To, to, um, so this is something I've had to learn. I wasn't showing it so much. So I've had to learn to be, um, to show, to connect first, to connect first, show why you love someone still, like um, uh, what you'd think would be already stated. You don't just state it once, you state it every day. <laughs> why you, what you love about your partner, state mm-hmm. it every day and reassure, that reassures them, you know. Yeah, I'm really big on that in my relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and even even instead of saying I love you, which can sometimes just come off as I feel like I should say that. Yeah. I'll, I'll say something like, I appreciate you, you know, and I'll give her a yeah. reason for it. I think my well, puppy's feeling... like, here's the what? mascot. Ah. She's coming to say hi. She's probably sick of pulling out plants and chewing on all of the hoses and stuff outside. What's his name? Uh, her name is Luna. Luna? Let's we'll see if we can get her in the shop. There she is. Oh. Got a lovely spot right in her ass. Yeah. She's showing the camera. Oh, now oh, she's happy. Ah, as... oh, right. <laughs> Luna. This is her telling me, hey, mate, um, our relationship is such that you need to spend more time with me right now. This is her, her, like, she's got, you can't see because of the contrast, but she's got the puppy eyes going on with the furrowed brow. Yes. She's giving me the sob story, like, take me for a walk. Yeah. I will take you for a walk shortly, okay? Promise. (laughs) I'm a cat person. I mean, I don't, I don't, I love all animals, but, um, yeah, I just love the way cats, you have to, you have to, um, make friends with them in a, in a sort of a, I don't know. It's a different sort of siding up to them. Well, it is like, she just loves me unconditionally because yeah. whereas yeah. the cat, the cat's like, Oh, whatever for a little while sometimes. Mm. And that's okay. It's yeah. You can't force them as much. I think they no. have an ancestral memory of being the lions of the jungle or whatever. And I don't know what it is. I mean, the, <laughs> the last cat that I connected to, we, we, um, did some house sitting in Melbourne for a little while. It was, it was lovely, but the cat came along with it. We weren't really so much yeah. house sitting as cat sitting, but the house came with the agreement. Yeah. And she was used, this cat was an older cat, and she was used to just getting on people's laps and doing the whole claw thing and sitting down yeah. and owning things. So I was just like, we're not having any of that. You can you can earn me. Yeah. And then eventually I was the favourite. She would just come and purr at me and rub up against my legs. And when she sat on me, there'd be no claws. And everyone else was st- still getting the dramas after two yeah. weeks. But yeah, that worked really well. I'm like, if, okay, I understand how you cats work normally with me. I'm going to flip the tables on you. Because mm. this cat was so used to just getting unconditional love from people. Yeah. So interesting when you play around with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I take my cats for walks. Well, I've got one now, but um, the other one died just recently. But um, they're uh, brother and sister, so they'd actually come for a walk around the block with me at night. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and I've always had that with my cats, actually. Yeah. This she's amazing. This like she's almost eight months old, 
And she walks better off lead than on lead, which I find is really, really interesting. You take her off lead, she'll walk right next to me. Yeah. Like she's my best mate and we're having a conversation. Yeah. We're on the lead and like she's got a boundary all of a sudden. So she pulls against it. Like she's yeah. trying to get to the end of like, how far can I? That's right. But she never pulls out to that distance when she's not got a lead on. Yeah. And I was like, well, they... what? I'm, I'm being taught something here. I wonder yeah. what that is. Well, dogs often will go first in front of you. They're, they're mm-hmm. scouring the scene and checking out for, for stuff. But when she's not on a lead, she walks on heel right next to me, shoulder, right. shoulder at my ankle. Yeah. When she's on the lead, she's out a little bit ahead, which is always nightmarish because she's big enough that if she goes across me, I, I can either hurt her, her or me or both. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm trying to teach her now not to be in front and across it's like stay out stay at this side you walk left stay left it's good fun beautiful all right we're going can you give me five minutes we'll wrap this wonderful conversation up and we'll go for a walk <laughs> she's, got, she's got the sad puppy eyes it's beautiful another relationship right here that's right it's great i love that our discussion's been about relationships and it's kind of the structure of the relationship is almost irrelevant because what you've been saying about your experience and how you approach it is applicable across the board. Yeah. I just like this idea of the, like that personal sovereignty and taking care of yourself. Yeah. And then, and then having the love to give. But communicating like a person can't, which is one thing I have to, I've discovered is that you to consent to a type of relationship that, you know, is different. People need to know about it, so they need to. You need to communicate fairly clearly what you're, what you're on about, what you like, what your needs are. Mm. Um, I mean, you just reminded me of something. I remember talking to. I've got a large number of my friends in Melbourne are gay, mm-hmm. and I remember talking to them about the start of a relationship, the start of a sexual relationship. Mm. How gay men will talk to each other about what they like mm. sexually. Mm. before they even engage sometimes so yeah. it's like there's we understand where the bar is and you're not do, you're not doing the 14 year old fumbling behind the yeah. shelter sheds trying to work out where everything goes and what everything likes and potentially making the wrong decision that's right and i was like i have never had that experience with a woman that prior to any sexual engagement there's a what do you like what don't you like yeah it's it's kind of like working it all out and you just reminded me of that i was always like that's such a really interesting i was my brain went to deficiency but it's not a deficiency a difference in yeah like some people will um like there's a bit of um benefit in just shagging straight away at least yeah well of course you're gonna have a um an ongoing relationship at least you know what they're like well it's and and i'm not suggesting that everyone should sit down and just like Plan, plan what the activity is going to be. Does it consume a bit sort of like usurious, like what am I going to get from this interaction? Well, this but it was just interesting that what, it, what, I, what I took from this discussion was that it took the pressure off straight away that you didn't, have, you didn't attempt something that wasn't okay. Or yeah. you know, like there was not, and not even taboo, like just mm. cards are on the table. Yeah. So all of a sudden you're in, you're in it with honesty. That's right. And then the next level I took from that out of this discussion was, well, then that kind of opens up the possibility that if it's going some in a direction that one of the parties doesn't want it to, then the openness is already there to say, whoa, 
Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just like the dynamics of relationships, so many levels, mm. so many layers, so many nuances. That's right. I really appreciate connecting with you and talking about this stuff. Yeah, me too. I'm going to um, press the stop button so I can take her for a walk. Okay. But don't go away. All right.